0: This, uh, this is Joe
1: Cole. This is Ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the London, London, London Is Blue Podcast.
0: Podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London Is Blue Podcast. This is your host, Brandon, and my host, Nick Dan on PTO, which, going to be honest, didn't even know we had, but apparently he submitted it, <laughs> and it was approved. So Nick and I holding it down. But I'm not going to complain, Nick, because I've taken my fair share of breaks already this summer.
2: You sure have. Um, I forgot that, you know... You were you were the host of the podcast here for a minute, but you're back. You know, you you entered back in. You kicked the door down. You said, "I'm I'm here," and and so no more Dan and, and Nick save the world episodes for a little bit. Brandon and Nick uh, back in the saddle because there's a lot of news going on at Chelsea right now. Uh, I don't know if you've been able to keep up, but uh, in addition to the 145 transfers that that the club has currently going on. Uh, the club has acquired a new piece of what they have termed the multi-club model. And so we are going to be talking uh, to French football expert, Jonathan Johnson, about the implications of the Rossing-Strasbourg uh, acquisition as part of the the model. I will not do that accent again, promise. and uh, And kind of take you on a bit of an educational journey in this one to find out about you know, all the different implications of the acquisition and into the model and who Strasbourg are as a club, uh, which I think is really important and a lot of interesting history uh, there as well. So hopefully this is informative, Brandon. We we can uh, get people on a level playing field as they enter into their new uh, favorite league on team for
0: next year. Absolutely. Uh, I've started to lean heavy into this. I've changed my Twitter, Avi, to the Strasbourg uh, logo. <laughs> uh, my... New handle name yep. is uh Blue Co shareholder. So <laughs> whatever you need, I'm here to help, right? I, I took some time off uh Twitter, I needed to decompress after the season. I am back and ready to shit house. So um yeah, this is this is really cool. Uh not only we're we just gonna kind of touch on things, we would say there's a, an interview, with JJ from CBS coming in later, expert, right? Ran us through top to bottom, everything's gonna go accent so, accent is on point. Oh yeah. Uh, Sure. He's a he's a Villa fan like Matt Law and I'm like I didn't know you guys could do that so <laughs> good on him but very information like Nick said really just want to kind of just present what is out there to to try to get us headed in the right direction one of many um, Blueco I mean we can even just start there I mean Nick the the official umbrella org has been announced uh, it has been released. Uh, I even saw on Twitter that it sounds like they're filing paperwork that I think Chelsea will eventually be owned by Blueco potentially as well. They're going to kind of shift some things around. But um, the there, there's been, I think, the multi-club model was discussed, even boldly at the conference last year. This is step number one to, like, make it concrete and real. Obviously, there's been a lot of other clubs linked, which we'll get talked to. But the first domino has fallen, France being a hotbed of young talent. There's some strategic reasons why you want to go there, but Bluco is announced to the world, and and they kind of gave their statement here, right? And talk about the why, right? I mean, the strategy, the high level strategy behind this makes sense. They want to be competitive in England, uh, in Europe, long term, and see the acquisition to of the of an league on club to be very important in their future. They're very specific on where they want these. these satellite clubs, if that's how we're going to say it. Yeah. Uh, there's no, there's no nice way to say no. that.
2: Right. Yeah. No. Right. It, it And and I think Jonathan actually does a really good job of, of talking about that from like an implication standpoint. So stick around for that. But the blue coast statement um, says, this strategic investment would further our presence in European football alongside our ownership of Chelsea. We believe it would create huge opportunities to share knowledge and expertise um, again, we have a ton of reporting that's happened from Nizar Kinsla and others that we'll talk through here. But I just quickly want to read through the statement that uh, Racing Club de Strasbourg Alsace, uh, which is just a phenomenal name of a club, uh, they, they put this out the other day. The agreement would mark a new chapter in racing's history as the ownership consortium commits to accelerate sustainable investment in the club's growth, including the first teams and in the academy and the women's team. Uh with the project implemented by mark keller who would remain president of the club supported by the current management team he says this is an important day for racing um it's something my shareholder friends and i have been thinking about for the last two years we built a club that's healthy at every level and well managed although there was no financial urgency we were aware that we had reached the ceiling of our model and that we wanted to continue driving racing forward and projecting into a new dimension we necessarily needed it accompanied by a solid structure of capable supporting uh, our development and our ambition i'm therefore delighted uh, of the uh, perspective to welcome the new strategic investor uh, with whom we will accelerate the club's ambition and build the racing of tomorrow and and look it's uh it, it's accompanied by a little bit more from blueco it's an honor for us to be a part of this historic club we're committed to preserving the heritage. Of racing and are focusing on working closely with Mark and his management team to continue the excellent work they've been doing, the strategic investment, further our presence, uh, yada yada yada. Right. So th- this is actually a really interesting kind of co-statement, and, and there's been a lot of reporting along the way, Brandon, that you know Chelsea were looking to acquire a part of a club, and it turns out that they've acquired nearly a hundred percent of Strasbourg, which is. Uh, Pretty incredible uh, when you consider all of the names in French football that Chelsea were after over the last year.
0: Absolutely, um, it's it's so it's so I don't know. I guess it, to me, I'm kind of surprised, right? And and you think about all the things that this ownership group is is juggling. Adding this to the list is is no small feat, you know. And I mean, I know you and I don't play at this level, but I also think of like you got to have a macro picture. Right, and you got to think, Bully had this vision, in Igbali, a part of their strategy deck before they even got to Chelsea, right? And it's like, how are they balancing all these things? You like negotiating with agents for players is one thing. Could you imagine negotiating with owners and boards for actual clubs? <laughs> like, you would assume there's a lot more paperwork and legal requirements to get into there. Um, but they they are starting to very eloquently uh, lay down the, the really big, big, big vision that they have for this. They don't want England dominance. They kind of want world dominance. And you're like, all right, like we're that guy. We're the bad guy now. Like it's official. We're buying clubs up and, uh, it, it's, uh, very aligned to the man city play. And I would even say like, it'll blitz the RB play pretty quickly. Cause I feel like they're a little bit limited.
2: Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Um, so uh, Jonathan Johnson goes through and, and he actually mentions very early on in our, in our interview, he's giving the Ligon perspective um, and the Strasbourg perspective. But he he said that there's been a ton of American investment in Ligon, and it's not really gone that well. Um, if you look at a bunch of different examples across the landscape, and I think that goes for, you know, not only Ligon as well, but... I think their strategic imperative is different than, you know, some others that might come in and you you look at this and I mean, one, I think it as an implication, it helps Chelsea keep up with the man cities of the world. Right. And in in even the Brightons of the world who have invested in, in in a Belgian club as well to have the best chance for success. Right. Not only in terms of like, how do loans work? But overall pathways. And and I think that this is incredibly important. Um, and, and I know that there are a bunch of Chelsea fans out there who are, who are looking at this and going, I don't feel like I know my club anymore. There's so much change happening. Uh, I agree that there is a lot of change happening. I think it's just maybe a bit of an overcorrection to where the market is heading in a very quick amount of time, Brandon. And I think that is the reason why you're going to see not only investments in in Strasbourg, but also other clubs that we will that we will talk about at the end of the show as well. This is a strategic imperative that if you don't have a state backed football club. You kind of need to do and even if you do have
0: a state backed football club like
2: City, they're still doing anyway.
0: Yeah, they are are definitely maximizing their impact on it. Um, so look, I think it's interesting also that they got uh, almost a hundred percent of the club. Right, this isn't a minority. This isn't a fifty-one percent. This is like ninety-plus percent ownership, which is which is um, important detail uh, in this. There's no confusion who owns or runs the club. So whatever happens, right or wrong it's it's with blue co uh as we talk about Nas's article that you you brought up um fantastic we we will tweet it out if we haven't already um you know he kind of goes through the overall implications of this Uh, i think he he gives a really really good breakdown obviously you all know that we love nas um step one there's been a lot of limitations to the loan army right that was chelsea's og play to really ruin the world of football was loan upwards of 40 players that was that was
2: ruining football version one point Do do you remember that way back in the day? The cool. Emanalo trick up yeah. his sleeve, right? Um, Actually, was that two point Was I think buying players? Abramovich know, such, just yeah.
0: just splashing yeah. cash yeah. at people. That was, was probably one, point, one.
2: We're on either three point or four point now. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I I'm leaning towards four or five. I think <laughs> uh, I think once you see Nicholas Jackson's announcement, that might ruffle a ton of feathers. I'll tell you <laughs> offline. Um, so it's going to give access to players from Europe. And we talk about Andre Santos, not being able to get a work permit because in England, the requirements are so strict with Brexit and things like that. Now you have a gateway into Europe. And once a player gets to a top five European country, getting them into England is much, much easier. So that's a big one. Um, you know, the ability to sign under 18s from the continent, it will be opened up. And then the the ability to to put them in a league that they can develop and grow in a very uh, healthy environment I think is is some of the really really high ones. Obviously League one is lower level in the PL Nick, but that's where we see some of the best young players develop <clears throat> Eden Azard and then go to big clubs and it seems to I mean we just picked up uh, Body Shield from there. No one needs to know how how much young talent is in France. Well, all you have to do is listen to one episode of Le Tinkerman,
2: and Seb will give you about 190 names of, of young French talent that, um, you know, has either come from France in their, in their footballing infrastructure or come from any of the number of countries that have an easy pathway for players to get into French leagues. And so... It's a huge opportunity um, from a scouting perspective uh, to figure out not only those in and around Strasbourg, but to set up scouting networks that kind of extend deeper into French football with players who may be a level or two below Chelsea, but who have the potential to accelerate and grow um, into Premier League-caliber players. And, And that is... That's just scouting, right? It's just a, a bit of a different approach than maybe Chelsea have done before where they've scouted and sent the players back out on loan. Now you have a club where if you scout them and they're at a certain price point and they fit within your budget, you have a club where they can go and develop and that's under your jurisdiction and, and ownership to to set up properly. So I think that is a, uh, a critical part of this. The other part, which we will dive into a little bit, um, after the ad break, here is uh, this club is well run. So Strasbourg is an incredibly well run club. They've been compared like to a Brentford, right, within French football, which I think is is exciting. Um, but their director, Mark Keller, who Johnson Johnson will tell you all about in the third section of the show, is about as highly regarded as one can be. Um, could potentially help run French football as a federation in the future and I think Brandon when you look at which clubs you're investing in as a part of the multi-club model this is a perfect example right a club with a ton of room to grow right maybe don't have the cash flow necessary to make everything that they want come true but a club that's been operated in a smart and savvy way a club that has history to it, a club that has a, a really excited fan base around it. You're not. It's not build a club in FIFA, right? This is a club that already has history, tradition, and and and, and infrastructure that may just have a cash flow issue and a stadium infrastructure issue that Chelsea and Blue Co., can, can help fix and that could potentially elevate them as well which would be great for everybody
0: right they have one of the lowest debts in France which I mean let's be honest at this point picking up a club with low debt is is hard to find um and and that just makes life easier uh they have a very very highly regarded general director at Mark Keller which we'll talk a lot more about um, and, and they went from like ruins to a 25 25- or, you know, a 25,000-seat stadium and, and back into competing and not quite on Europe's door, but, it, you know, there are some parallels to Chelsea. You think back to the early 2000s when, like, the club were on the brink of bankruptcy and and thank God we got into Champions League and Obronovich came in. They have their own kind of narrative story that, that is similar to it, and as Bully and Iqbali have, have lined out about their, you know, data-driven approach and collaboration they're kind of doing it in their own small world already. So again, like the the overlaps and the consistencies are there, which is um, which is which is awesome, right? And uh, the fact that their scouts have have been crushing it, um, and, and you know their their location as well, Nick, which we can touch on, is is peak to be able to cross borders into into other countries and go all the way into Paris. Uh, or Paris, as some of our American friends would, would know, um, they're just it, they check a lot of boxes, right? And and I think it is fair to say they want their number one choice, but it starts to feel like it's a pretty dang good Plan B when it's all said and done. And we've got a lot of articles and things to to kind of connect those dots.
2: Yeah, I mean, as far as anyone's concerned, this is Plan A, right? It's the first part of the adventure that Chelsea have been on um, as it, as it pretends to kind of this new future that comes through. And, and I think the last, the last part I'll make before we uh, head to, to part two is I think for those who are, again, maybe a little bit, it's too much change too quickly. Um, their supporters feel this way too. Right. I think there have been kind of protests and stuff like that. You know, JJ brings up a really interesting point that no one wants to be the second or third club in a multi club model. Everyone wants to be the top dog, and you know, unfortunately for Strasbourg, that's that's not going to happen with Chelsea Football Club being a part of the infrastructure and being two time European champions and multiple time Premier League winners and one of the biggest brands in world football. But uh, there's a ton of good. I think that will come out of this, uh, as, as we get to learn a little bit more about the club and in, in part two. And so, you know, again, it's, it's not just the anxiety from Chelsea supporters going, what, what is happening to my club? I think, you know, uh, racing supporters are feeling the the same, uh, sort of, of anxiety, but I think the plan is savvy, um, uh, from what we can tell. And, um, the investment will, will hopefully, you know, be like a rising tide that, that lifts all boats. So, uh, that is that's kind of the last piece I would make
0: there. All right, well, a lot more to come. But we're going to take it for a first sad break when we get back. Uh, we're going to learn about Strasbourg uh, and and kind of just walk through their history. So thank to the sponsors, and we'll bear it back bird dogs make you look good that's right bird dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg giving you a truly sculpted look they fit way better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff restrictive cotton bird dogs uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long so look i've got a pair dan's got a pair nick's got a pair we actually love them but not only do you get bird dogs right now if you buy you get a free Tumblr. That's right. You get a free Yeti Tumblr. All you have to do is go to birddogs.com forward slash pool, P-O-O-L. Enter the promo code P-O-O-L for a free Yeti style Tumblr with your order. That's birddogs.com forward slash pool for free Yeti style Tumblr. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. All right. Uh, before we get into the history of Strasbourg and kind of, you know, who they are, um, we're taking this show on the road, Nick. Damn right
2: um for for those who have already signed up via our eventbrite links to the live podcasts in Raleigh Durham on this on the 18th of July in Philadelphia on the 21st of July in Atlanta on the 25th of July and DC on the 29th of July you guys are already legends we're we're close to selling out on all of these different events we we kind of set a, a cap of about 200 people per event. Uh, D.C. Is, is leading the pathway so far. Um, that's, that's not to say that they'll always be in first place, but a huge reaction out of D.C. at the Astro Beer Hall, which looks incredible, by the way. Um, so, so shouts to, to Allison and, uh, and, and everyone who's organizing the D.C. event. Uh, we have the Atlanta group in second place so far. Uh, we're going to be at the Fido Irish Pub in Buckhead for that one. Uh, very much looking forward to that. Uh, Philadelphia, uh, huge reaction out of those guys. They're really excited. Um, and and that's, a, that's a Friday night special. I'm very excited about that one uh, at that live show. And then, of course, our friends in Raleigh-Durham at the My Way Tavern. Um, we are so excited to be on the road. We have some big plans. We're going to have our journalist friends as guests. We're going to do some fun things. So uh, please uh, go to our social media pages, sign up. Uh, The tickets are free. We just want to get a sense of how many people we can expect to join us at any given time. We're of course trying to avoid any conflicts along the way with uh, club sponsored events and everything like that. We don't want to be counter-programming. We want to be uh, complimentary to everything that's going on, both with uh, these supporters groups and with Chelsea, and so we tried to find sweet spot times for all these different events. Please go sign up; it means the world to us. The reaction's been fucking incredible so far. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and let's uh, let's sell these bad boys out and have some awesome, awesome times.
0: All right, so back to Strasbourg. Uh, the the team's full name, right? Racing Club de Strasbourg Alsace, a French. Professional association. Look, you guys are gonna get what you get from me. I am happy to have set back yeah, on the all sauces. The the, the, Fr- the French pronunciation. Here's the oh, problem. No. If we it. say it the French way, no one's even gonna be able to understand it, anyways, because that's not our thing. Um, how about this? Feel
2: very much like uh Inglorious Bastards.
0: <laughs> right oh yeah, now. Brad Pitt for sure. <laughs> That's actually a great oh, option man. for that one. Um I'm open to to Zoom lessons, let me know. Uh founded in 1906, it uh they've had their professional status since 1933 and they're obviously currently in League 1, top tier of French football. Um they they've they've definitely had their ups and downs to say the least, Nick. Um got yep. f- 15th in the league this season and uh the apparently paid 64 million for the club my man that's a player today in England that's that's one Kai
2: Havertz essentially uh for for an entire French club um which kind of shows you the inflation in English football but yeah I mean you know as, as again we'll reference JJ because he was excellent 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 in our third part but you know, the club actually finished close to the European spots the year before, had a bit of a regression last year. Um, Mark Keller, president, has been in place since 2012. He's been an orchestrator of this entire kind of rebuild that's happened from, from kind of that rags to riches uh, story that, that you mentioned earlier. It's one of six clubs that have won all three major French trophies. Um, including the championship in 1979, the Coupe de France in 51-66 and 01, and the Coupa de la Liga in 1964, 97, 2005, and 2019. They have played, uh, they're they're one of six clubs that have played over 2,000 matches in France's top flight, spanning 56 seasons, and they've taken part in 52 European games since 1961, so they fit in great with uh, with Chelsea. Um, They've, never been in like the consistent top four which i you know i think you know as far as like well known french teams obviously your psgs your marseilles your Lyons, all those sorts of clubs never really m- made it there um but you know despite the fact that they have experienced relegation they've kind of bounced up um You know, this is a club that has a ton of history and a ton of really interesting uh, geographical history. Um, They were founded as in a part of the German Empire. Right. Um, And then, you know, because it's right on the France-German border or France-Germany border, I should say. And so there's a huge kind of history between those two nations, obviously, if you know anything about the uh, the world wars that took place in the first part of the 20th century, um, but they were annexed as part of, of France and are, um, you know, currently a, a part of the, the French League, obviously. Uh, but there is a ton of cultural implication between both countries where they are and you know, of course, um, there's a ton of of pride in that region for um, their their culture, as, as we will learn later. So um, they've also started an esports team, which is you know I feel like a pretty standard part of every club's outfit these days. But they're trying to be on the leading edge. You know, like like we've said, this is a team with a ton of history, a ton of tradition, uh, a club that's won multiple trophies across their history. And is is maybe at the precipice of doing something uh, special, uh, a la Brentford, as we find out from from Naz's article here, Brandon.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's super, super, like you said, interesting. Of life hasn't been easy for them, you know, uh, and and they've had to overcome some some stuff. And their fans are super passionate, which we got to see right mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in response to it. But. Um, While it probably is considered not ideal, here are some like just top top of the funnel advantages. You're gonna get an international dimension now from Strasbourg. Like they're going to have way more resources than they ever had before. When we talk about like the financial differences between the Premier League and in Strasbourg and like the how much we bought the club for, their budget, their investment. Uh, they are going to see like immediate, uh, upgrades day one, I would say with all due respect to them and to Chelsea, they're going to cheat Chelsea things as well, which is great. Uh, but the resources massive, uh, operations, marketing, um, you know, uh, sponsorships valuation, uh, they're going to get there. Hopefully some medical stuff, some scouting, sports science, whatever it is. Um, they talk about the fact that Chelsea and the L.A. Dodgers and the L.A. Lakers, right, now they're tied to them. There is something sexy about that. I would be interested in what the the local view of that is, but, like, the L.A. franchises in the U.S. are globally known. Like, L.A. is known of Hollywood. Therefore, Hollywood has taken those sports teams uh, around the world with them, and and you'll, you'll get to see that. I mean, expanding their 26,000-seater stadium— Hey, just add it to the list, Nick. We're already doing stadium renovations in London. Might as well just take the same team and have, them take, supplies. Yeah, Let's have, go. have them take a look uh, at our at our friends over in, in France as well. And then the, the the biggest thing is a bigger purse, bigger bag. The men's team is going to get more money. The academy team is going to get more money. And the women's team, which they're now bringing in, is going to get more money. And at the end of the day, what do we want as fans? More success. And And to be quite blunt the more money you spend, the more success you tend to have. So,
2: yeah, and, and it's it's also really interesting too because I think, you know, maybe the forgotten player given Chelsea's uh, transfer dealings right now is is Christopher Vivell who who Naz notes this is his specialty, right? When you when you look at where he came from in the Red Bull model, he knows how to create this multi-club model in a way that will make sense and that will be able to share resources effectively, right? You know, from from the RB model, there's a ton of of expertise there. And so I think that is critical. He's a critical component to this where uh, maybe some others and and Stuart and when Stanley are getting a majority of the either praise or not so much praise at the moment. Bavell is kind of, I think, orchestrating some other types of things that could have bigger impacts for for Chelsea and these clubs down the down the road. And I think the last note, and I this is a really important thing um, it, because UEFA just kind of makes up the rules as they go. Um, not uh, historically uh, a very uh, honest or straightforward organization, UEFA. Uh, there is. Uh, some you know I would say regulation around owning multiple clubs in the same competition across Europe that their mention is although uh, unlikely that Strasbourg will qualify for Europe they did a couple of years ago almost did a couple years ago so let's be very careful and Chelsea are not in Europe right now <laughs> so, so who makes also, it first very, yeah let's just be very careful about that um it's, it's said that they have a relaxed approach um, to this sort of kind of multi-club ownership model. And so all of that being said, I, I mean, Brandon, what are your takes before we get into our, our interview uh, with Jonathan Johnson, who, again, can't highly recommend enough uh, following on Twitter? Um, what are your reactions to this as step one in, in apparently a multi Uh, club
0: model that is being set much quicker than maybe I had even thought. If there's one thing that these owners cannot be accused of, it's uh, sitting on their hands, one could say. Um, I'm just trying to take it all in. I don't know, right? Am I thrilled with what like Man City have done with like financial doping and things and moving players around and you know, I mean I mean, not really. And you just don't know what the intentions and the impact this is gonna have on Chelsea. You assume it's good, right? But at the same time, are we going to be farming these clubs for the best talent? Like, is it gonna be mutually beneficial, right? Or are are we gonna kind of be the source of a lot of pain around these these smaller developing leagues or you know the ones that just have less money? I think that's where we should naturally be concerned. Uh, But I think some fans will understandably say, don't care. Chelsea, number one, that's all I'm worried about. If this helps Chelsea be better, all for it. But I think the owners will probably see that they could have success on multiple continents or multiple countries for sure. And like what's better than having one successful team is having five successful teams. So I'm really just trying to read and pay attention to what's going on so we can see how all of these pieces are going to connect. This is a massive operation. I mean, talk about mergers and acquisitions at the highest level across sporting franchises, across different countries with different rules and regulations. Um, th- this isn't going to be easy. Nothing that Bully and Bali have done is easy. So I also want to know, like, how long is it going to take to settle in? Uh, I'll have to go back and kind of review the the city football group and how quickly they did it. I feel like they moved pretty fast. Um, and so may, maybe it's not as complicated as I'm thinking, um, it, it'll probably make more sense of why we have so many sporting and technical and scouting directors now, because they were probably were hiring for beyond just Chelsea and we'll start to see that bigger vision come to fruition. But honestly, Nick, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to pay attention and see how this plays out because this is, uh, a, a big play this is going to have huge implications across a lot of different things. And uh, coming off the season we had last season, I I just want Chelsea to get back to greatness, right? And if this helps, great. If it's a distraction, then it's going to suck.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I watched a lot of the reaction to the news on Thursday, you know, from folks that we uh, like and trust. And and the reaction was really split. And I think – I understand why the sentiment on the negative side exists, right? Um, this is, it's a lot of change happening really fast. And, you know, again, I think the the folks who do not want this to happen feel like they might lose, you know, the Blue Co might lose Chelsea as a priority within, you know, this greater footballing infrastructure. I I understand that. I could see it um, I think in a perfect world the multi-club model would not exist as a tactic for growth and for um, for competition and, and for an advantage in competition I should say um, so it, you know if if that were you know the the official stance of UEFA then this wouldn't happen really uh, but it's clear that UEFA is not going to do anything about it or if they do something about it, it will be after, you know, all these multi-club models have already been adopted and probably grandfathered in. And so, you know, it's not about necessarily competing in an ideal world. It's about competing in a world that exists and where your rivals are getting stronger by the day, right? City just won the treble. They're not going anywhere. You know, even if Pep leaves, they have a strong football infrastructure in place. They have a multi-club model in place. They're state-backed. It's a hard thing to beat, man. It's a really hard thing to beat. And I think competition and getting advantages where you can is, is what I see this ownership group doing, even though it was an abysmal first year for the, for the men's first team. Uh, I think what you're looking at here with the multi-club model is a way to try and claw some of that seeded territory back. And... Again, I think your point, your last point here, Brandon, is is critical. If it is something that helps not only Chelsea, but all these clubs get better, phenomenal. If it becomes a political distraction, it's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. And so I, I truly hope that Vevel and the Blue Co. Ownership Group have a incredibly detailed plan to get the most out of these you know the clubs that are eventually part of the model you know Strasbourg being the first and that it runs like fucking clockwork right that Strasbourg gets the funding that they need to operate effectively their stadium gets rebuilt Chelsea stadium gets rebuilt our transfers are good their scouting is good like all of this stuff is is critical what I like about Strasbourg is they already have an infrastructure in place, right? There's a ton of positives with that club, and they're already—they seem like they're well run as it is. Um, so hopefully, there won't be a ton of of oversight required to keep them on the up and up. And I hope that all the other clubs that are a part of Chelsea's vision for this, whether it be in Portugal or Brazil or, you know, Belgium or you know, as, as JJ mentioned, Africa even. I hope that they are of a similar stature, right? That they are well put together, well run, uh, have all the right pieces in place to, to be um, successful because, you know, otherwise I think it's going to be a, a challenge. So uh, I think it's more about the world that you live in rather than the world that you you want. Unfortunately.
0: Yes. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. When we get back uh, live with JJ, breaking it down from the French angle uh, again, uh a, a Brit expat living in France, uh, writing about it for CBS. So you're gonna want to pay attention. Thank you to sponsors. we will bring right back. All right. Well, coming out of that break, uh, we've got a special guest here. Jonathan Johnson is joining us from CBS sports. So we are excited to have you on. You're located in Paris. You've been following this. Uh, I mean, for us, I would say some pretty big news that the Chelsea ownership group have officially completed the not signing, <laughs> But takeover yeah. of Strasbourg, and and maybe Jonathan, right away, you can just humble me by telling me how to pronounce Strasbourg's name.
1: I mean, you're doing a pretty good job. Strasbourg is, uh, is is pretty much the French way of saying it. So if you you wanted to add a little uh, Gallic flair, hopefully that uh, pronunciation should uh, should should help. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you, as you guys are, are going to learn pretty fast, they don't really call the club Strasbourg anyway. It's Hacing. Uh, So, uh, whenever you speak to anybody sort of in and around, uh, Alsace, uh, they will definitely be referring, referring to the club as Racing as opposed to just itself. Yeah.
0: Well, that is the, the deep cut there. And I think, I don't know, maybe we can just talk about that real quick as, as we get into it is like, why would that be, um, as we are quickly trying to get caught up and learn it sounds like this is, um, there's a lot of national pride about this part of france and like in the footballers and the coming up right it's kind of the 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 localized name of i don't want to say neighborhood maybe but like the region or the city
1: yeah i mean uh, you know the one thing to, to sort of bear in mind about french football and it's kind of one of its oddities but also it makes it kind of uh a curiosity and, and kind of attractive in itself at the same time is that french football doesn't have any many sort of like like you know, sort of two club cities, uh, you know, so which which kind of brings those kind of like local rivalries that you guys are used to following English football. I mean, obviously growing up in England as well, being an Aston Villa fan, obviously I've I've had plenty of experience <laughs> in it as well, but you don't get as much of that uh, in France since Tasbourg doesn't really have uh, you know there, there isn't a second club in the city you have some big nearby clubs uh you know there's a rivalry with mess uh you know there was Moulous as well before uh, they uh in, experienced financial difficulties under american ownership which is kind of a recurring theme uh, when uh, Americans get involved in french football let's see if this uh, this project changes it but uh you know specific to that region uh it's actually really interesting at uh, at this moment in time interesting for a number of reasons uh you know you've got this uh this giant uh you know french football that's sort of rebuilt itself in the east over the last sort of 10 to 15 years uh you know mark keller has played a, a massive role in that uh and the expectation is that one day uh you know probably you know sort of in, within the next two years mark keller will actually head the french football federation so he won't be able to sort of be uh you know at the head of Strasbourg, the club um, sort of on a day-to-day basis anymore uh, and that's actually basically sort of what has uh, you know sort of led to this situation where the club had to look for a solution yes we've heard Keller talking publicly uh, sort of about how through local backing they'd sort of tapped the you know the the extent of their their potential uh, in terms of where they could take the club but also uh, you know you have to look at it uh, and this has been a very pragmatic move from Keller because Keller has political ambitions and he will become the, the French Football Federation president 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 one day, whether that's as soon as the end of 2024 or a little bit further along down the line, uh, given that uh, Diello now has um That mandate uh, up until the end of 2024, we will see. But there's no way uh, in French footballing law that you can be French Football Federation president and president of a club. So that is one of the factors that has kind of fed into Mark Keller needing to find new ownership for the club. Now, Keller, in terms of what he's done in terms of rebuilding Strasbourg, he's now kind of like a, a local... Deity, kind of like a godlike figure, where you know he has not only played for the club, represented France, and obviously flown the flag for for the region. Uh, you know he's now also rebuilt uh, its uh, its strongest historic club. Uh, you know there's there's a lot of emotion attached to Strasbourg. I mean, I'm sure that you guys have found out, sort of doing a, a little bit of homework on the club, that it's extremely well supported. The fan base. Uh, you know the reason why they've sort of been renovating the stadium. Uh, or that there, there are plans afoot to re- renovate the stadium starting very soon uh is the fact that you know the the sort of the capacity in terms of selling out, uh, you know, sort of week in, week out is extremely high there. You know, we're talking like nearly 90% uh in terms of like regular gates, which is, you know, pretty crazy in terms of uh in, in terms of French football. So have that kind of uh you know that that sort of loyalty, that sort of emotion. Um, you know, and it all comes back down to this kind of like regional pride aspect and, you know, the Alsace itself, although it's part of something that's called uh, the Grand Est, so the uh, sort of the, the big East, which is like a, a mixture of different, uh, you know, departments that form sort of one bigger one. We could see a bit of um, independence for Alsace in the coming years. I'm not going to sort of bore you guys with the French football and politics there uh, right now, but that's something that could definitely be, uh, you know, sort of on the on the cards for for the coming years. But you know, Strasbourg you know being so close to the German border uh, you know the, the mentality in that region towards football is very different to uh, you know the mentality towards football in other regions where it's perhaps not as passionate you know there's a lot of debate in French football about who sort of has the the most passionate pockets of fans you know the last fans for example are, are well known across Europe for being you know absolutely uh, you know mad about their club you know PSG's Ultras have done a good job of sort of advertising their passion over the years in the Champions League nobody in you know, needs to introduce a club like Marseille who have, uh, you know, phenomenal support at home in the Stade Vélodrome. But, you know, Strasbourg, I kind of feel, have always gotten a bit of a raw deal in that they're a very well-supported club where, uh, you know, sort of flying the flag for for that region of France, uh, you know, sort of has flown under the radar up until, uh, you know, this deal. Obviously, Strasbourg were very close to getting themselves back into Europe uh, a year or two ago uh sadly fell just short and then really struggled last season uh you know to to follow that up and, and very nearly uh, got relegated so flirted with it for a little while but uh you know this um you know th- this club is, is is massive it's very difficult to uh, you know to to sort of overstate just how potentially big uh you know this uh, this club could be <sighs>
2: Yeah, crash course completed. Uh, Appreciate that, JJ. I I think we're kind of starting this conversation with just the implications, right? Uh, Chelsea have clearly decided that the multi-club model is uh, critical to future success just based on the trends in world football and the fact that uh, your cities and even down to your Brightons uh, of the Premier League are involved in multi-club models can you talk about the implications of um, you know thinking about strasbourg as a as a part of that multi-club model and what that might mean uh, both for Strasbourg and for Chelsea
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a difficult job for Chelsea, for sure, to win the fans over. As you guys would have seen already, they're certainly not happy about the news. Uh, But I don't think anyone would be. Uh, You know, I don't think anyone wants their club to sort of be bought as part of one of these multi-club ecosystems, I guess, is, you know, sort of what it's called um, these days. Uh, You know, nobody wants to be part of one of those when they're not going to be at the top of the food chain. Now... In terms of the strategy, sort of why Chelsea, uh, you know, chose, identify France, uh, that's no surprise, no surprise at all, given sort of France's track record in terms of de- developing talent, uh, mm. you know, number of clubs that are equipped with the kind of infrastructure that you need in order to, uh, you know, basically put players of a certain age through a, a finishing school, uh, which then enables them to be sort of Premier League ready, come over and play a, a part for, for, the, for the main club, Chelsea. Uh, you know, sort of what it means for Strasbourg. Uh, I mean, obviously, I've talked already about sort of Keller freeing himself up to potentially leave, uh, you know, sort of by the end of 2024. We'll see if that actually turns out to be the right timeline. It could be that he stays on a little bit longer. But in any case, there had been a feeling for a long time before Chelsea sort of cropped up uh, as a possibility that there needed to be new investments into the club uh, and that it was getting very difficult for, for a club like Strasbourg to remain competitive. I mean, you look at sort of uh, what's happened in Ligue 1 the last couple of years, uh, and it really takes something special, something like a, a loss, uh, you know, to really have some success, uh, you know, and, and then sustaining that kind of success which uh you know is is something that we already saw was difficult for Tsutsberg after flirting with qualifying for Europe uh you know it's it, it's impossible to do that without the right financial backing and now Strasbourg rightly or wrongly feel like they found the right uh, you know long-term investment uh, in order to, to to sort of give themselves the aspirations that they feel uh, you know are worthy of a club like Strasbourg but you know and I'm sure we'll get onto it soon there's other considerations as well Strasbourg is a club that was brought back from the brink a number of years ago to the point where you know the club the team wouldn't have been able to play in the stadium had the hat had the fans sort of not cleaned the stadium by hand like picking up like all the trash and like stuff like that and made it basically playable uh you know for the the team that's how desperate things got uh, sort of, you know, 15 years ago or so. They've come from a long, long way and basically with sort of the same uh, kind of leadership, uh, you know, at the, at the top of the club all the way through. So they are a real success story, but a success story that sort of knew that it had reached its limits uh, and had to figure out some way to, you know, remain competitive within the the, the current setup of, you know, elite European soccer. They've decided to go with, uh, you know, the, the offer of, you know, becoming part of this Chelsea umbrella blue co, which, you know, if we believe the reports uh, is going to expand even further in the next c- couple of weeks. Uh, you know, there's been whispers about potential interest in a club in in Portugal. I know that there's been suggestions about Rio it, as well. So, you know, we'll see if that kind of comes to, to fruition. But it's a really interesting dynamic because, like I said before, Strasbourg certainly in terms of the fan base, in terms of its regional importance, is a club that really deserves uh, you know, to sort of be front and center of any kind of project. But equally, uh, you know, if we're sort of talking in terms of being like an established, recognized European name, uh, you know, Chelsea are, uh, you know, more established than what we play in a, um, you know, in a, in a league, in a competition that that people are sort of more widely aware of than uh, the than league. So, it's difficult to make a case where Strasbourg will be above Chelsea, sort of in terms of the in terms of the pecking order. So whichever way you slice it, the fans I think will always going to interpret this as sort of coming in as part of a multi club operation where they're not at the top, uh, you know, of that food chain, and that you know will probably rile them up for, for quite some time. They wouldn't be the first fan base to to feel like that, but it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out given that keller is still on board the respect uh you know that the fans and the and and the region have for him and what he's done for the club uh and also how he sort of handles now being in that situation you know is it going to be one where we see uh you know a bunch of chelsea talents immediately sort of farmed out on loan uh is it going to be more strategic are we going to see sort of maybe like one or two players joining like that uh you know with a with a a specific idea of how long they spend at the club and and of Sort of how much they would need to develop in order, in order to go back to Chelsea and challenge to be in the first team. Uh, and also, uh, you know, what it would kind of mean uh, in terms of the investment uh, through Bluko, uh into Strasbourg in order to make them more competitive. There's been some reports in recent days since the news uh, that Strasbourg are now looking at potentially having a budget of around $25 million for the coming season. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And I think the fact that Keller is on board means that the fans, I'm not going to say they'll have to be better behaved than they would be if he, you know, just completely gone and said, you know, bye-bye and, you know, here's your new owners kind of thing. But um, I think it kind of tempers uh, the reaction that there might have been from the Strasbourg
2: fans. Can we just quickly touch on that? Because obviously we saw the protests and, and, and everything like that. And I think it's a fair enough uh, reaction. Changes scary. And, you know, clearly, as you've referenced, there's a lot of pride, not only in the club, but in the region for for what Strasbourg has has accomplished under Mark Keller do what do you think uh that bluco and and you know i guess by proxy chelsea need to do to win over the supporters uh, at this time right it's kind of a critical juncture um as you mentioned there is investment coming into the club which should be a good thing right and hopefully increase competition the potential for players to to come in as well thoughts on on what bluco could do to help make this an easier transition <laughs>
1: I mean, I think one thing that's already quite important and it'll be important to the region as well as the fan base is the fact that with Keller on board, uh, there won't be sort of any getting out of uh, sort of the renovation that the stadium needs. I mean, we're talking about a stadium that hasn't been renovated in decades. Uh, in fact, it's not even just the stadium we're talking about. I mean, we're talking about the infrastructure overall. We're talking about the training facilities, the youth facilities as well. Uh, you know, all of that is going to need, it's going to receive this much-needed boost uh, that basically uh, you know, Keller and, uh, and and the local government have been preparing now for, for some time. Uh, and I think that uh you know Blueco coming on board and, and being okay with that uh you know that's already a sort of a, a strong indication i wouldn't necessarily suggest that it's kind of like an olive branch offering but it's uh it, it's a show that um you know strasbourg is a club Uh, is going to get something meaningful and and substantial out of this uh, potential link, you know, because when people think about sort of satellite clubs and links, they just assume it's literally just going to be, uh, you know, sort of players, uh, you know, coming from Chelsea, spending a bit of time raising their game a bit with Salzburg and then going back and and playing for Chelsea. Uh, You know, and I think there's there's more to it um, than that. And the fact that, uh, you know, you know the renovation didn't have to be put onto the back burner. Uh, you know during the talks is a is a good indication that you know this is potentially something you know that's at least sort of medium to long term as opposed to uh, you know potentially looking at uh, short term gains. And certainly if we sort of judge from the narrative that we've heard on the Chelsea side since uh, you know the the takeover it's uh you know going to be part of sort of a, a bigger plan you know we're not just going to see you know one club in this sort of multi-club model there's going to be sort of uh, you know three four uh you know at some point very near in the future uh and it'll be interesting to know sort of where Strasbourg figure in terms of that because for me it's very difficult to imagine them being anything less than say the second club in a multi-club operation uh, and with all due respect to uh, you know um, any deals that, that might be found in, in Portugal in the coming months, I think there's only a handful of Portuguese clubs that could really be sort of considered as, uh, as kind of being, you know, almost like superior to, to Strasbourg, both in terms of, uh, you know, the 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 reputation uh, of those clubs, but also in terms of the the, the sort of quality, uh, you know, of of the the game time that any players would potentially get in Ligue 1. Obviously, uh, you know as a, a League 1 expert and, a, and somebody who's passionate about French football, I'd be very biased in in saying that I think you know Ligue 1 is the the place to be when developing talent. But it's it's not doesn't matter you know what I think. It's the the track record that Ligue 1 has in terms of developing uh, you know the, the the sort of talent that Chelsea are going to be looking. Uh, you know, to to try and develop, uh, you know, with this uh, with, with this link in the in the coming years. So, I do think that you know, the the renovation of the uh, of the infrastructure is sort of as important uh, as what could come on the the pitch in the in, in the next couple of months, because that, at the end of the day is what the fans will be able to to sort of attach themselves to and say, you know, that's sort of what we've got to look forward to, Uh, you know, in the future, there's going to be more spaces for fans to come in to watch. And there's going to be a greater chance of us being competitive and finally getting to Europe, which, uh, you know, came so close just a a year ago. Well, obviously a
0: big part of this is, you know, I I think you talked about how Chelsea could potentially, you know, bring some players over, but it, it goes the other way as well. And I think, One of the strategic alliance side of it, uh, and I'm sure from the ownership group just in general, is helping to get players maybe outside of England into France, which, you know, Brexit is a very obvious issue for the Premier League teams. (laughs) Um, But with Ligue 1, they have the, um, the Coutinho agreement, right, where you can get uh, players in from 16 Caribbean countries, 40 African countries, and 15 countries in the Pacific with ac- with pretty much little to no resistance. And, um, I guess if you can kind of help us understand that a little bit, cause I think that'll probably be a big flow is you try to bring in young players, develop them probably in Strasbourg and then move on to other players, whether it's revenue generating or to Chelsea. I feel like this is probably a big part of the strategy, which I put in quotations, <laughs>
1: Yeah I mean it's it's interesting you mentioned that because I think you can actually sort of break it down into sort of more basic terms uh you know obviously large swathes of africa are french speaking uh and traditionally neon has been uh you know a a, a perfect um sort of you know training ground slash finishing school for a lot of these players that they come to to the young and get their sort of first taste of europe and then end up moving on to some of the bigger sort of elite names and obviously you know chelsea based on uh you know what they've achieved over the last couple of decades now uh you know are in that same bracket uh you know and i think there's a lot of uh you know clubs with or without uh you know a parent club like Chelsea that you know look to try and tap into uh you know certainly French speaking Africa because you've got a lot of players as well who can qualify as like you know dual nationality, uh, you know, so they can easily get themselves to Europe. It's just a question of their talent cropping up on the radar uh and then being brought in by the right club and, and nurtured. I mean, you've got some very good examples uh you know of that in this current uh Salzburg squad. You've got the likes of uh, Habib Diara, for example who is really best on the scene towards the end of last season uh you know came in from senegal and now you know is is suddenly being looked at by a number of bigger clubs not just in uh in france but you know across europe as well uh you know and i think as well somebody like uh, a, a detro fofana you know had um Spesburg sort of had the kind of budget that they've got available to them now since the takeover he's the kind of talent that they would have probably looked at trying to bring over and maybe he still ends up uh, you know going to Strasbourg at some point on Loan, it's, to me certainly he'd be sort of like one of the first names it would be logical to to explore uh, you know potentially uh, you know sorting out a loan deal for but I think sort of long term uh, you know now having Strasbourg in place uh, it means that uh, you know Chelsea in terms of their the you know, their scouting and their, their their talent identification, they can look more aggressively towards Africa, knowing that they have a place where they can bring in the players uh, sort of in an immediate sense, sort of build them up over, you know, potentially over a couple of years before looking at trying to, to bring them in for, for, for Chelsea. And also I think as well, even if, uh, you know, there wasn't sort of all of the, the kind of red tape to get around in the Premier League, jumping from, uh, you know, say, for example, uh, you know, coming from a, a different continent, uh, you know, straight into the Premier League. That's a very, very difficult jump to make. Coming to somewhere like yeah. England, uh, you know, I think it's more, it's less harsh uh, on the players, and it gives them a better shot at, uh, at developing. So I think, you know, certainly we can expect to, uh, you know, see Chelsea looking creatively towards French-speaking Africa in the the short to medium term, uh, and potentially, who knows? You know, maybe one of the multi-clubs, uh, you know, that eventually gets added to this umbrella under Bluco, uh you know, is, uh, is is an African powerhouse where there's an obvious. Uh, you know, sort of route to Chelsea where you can go from that club to Strasbourg to Chelsea sort of over the course of, say, three to five years, uh, you know, which would be ideal for developing talent, say, from the age of like, you know, sort of 16 to 21.
2: You you mentioned Yara earlier, uh, another one of the Golden Boy nominees, as Decore as well. Do you think that there are any players at Strasbourg that are uh, potentially pipeline ready for the Premier League, let's say, in three years?
1: I mean... If we're talking Premier League ready, I think mean, there's a difference between being Premier League ready and sort of ready for what Chelsea's project aspires to be, because we all know that Chelsea next season, out of Europe under a new manager, uh, you know, the expectation will be to sort of get back into the Champions League as quickly as possible, and ultimately to sort of get back into a position, uh, you know, to to aspire to, to challenge for the the league title. Um, so in terms of sort of coming in and playing an immediate role. Um, I like uh, jean de Bellegarde a lot. I don't think, though, necessarily he'd be the best fit for Chelsea. Certainly not in terms of the players who've been brought in, some of the, the transfer targets that are being mentioned at the moment. But do I think that he could play in the Premier League in the future? For sure. I mean, I think Diara given where he is at this moment in time in terms of his development, Um Chelsea coming in now with this deal, or Bluco coming in now with this deal, sorry, um, you know, it actually comes at a really critical juncture because suddenly Strasbourg can keep hold of him and potentially he could develop in the next year or so into a talent that, you know, could be of interest uh, to Chelsea. You know, he has that kind of uh, potential. I mean, it's also interesting as well because it gives Strasbourg suddenly the opportunity to maybe keep hold of players who might not be an obvious fit for Chelsea uh, in terms of like their age profile, for example, but somebody uh, like like the Jiku, you know, the captain whose contract is ending and now suddenly has this new project in front of him, which could lead him to see Strasbourg in in a whole different light. He was expected to move on last summer, didn't happen. He suddenly could, you know, look at staying as well. So there's a lot of uh, you know, uh, you know, sort of potential for Strasbourg to suddenly keep hold of their existing talents. Some of those could be of interest to Chelsea in the next couple of years because there's a number of very talented kids coming through the academy as well. And some of those uh, you know, could, you know, maybe be of interest to Strasbourg for the next couple of years before potentially being sold on. Uh, you know, that way, uh, sort of being strengthened in terms of being able to offer a more lucrative contract and keeping those talents uh under lock and key enables them to cash in better in the future because Kuzbog, for the last couple of years, is a team that has had to get used to working on a really limited budget. They've done a lot of loan transfer dealings. You look at some of the signings they've made from uh, from my Club Villa, uh, you know, Morgan Sonson, for example. Whether or not he gets turned into a permanent signing now, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, it's been a couple of really, really difficult years in terms of really looking and trying to do smart business and, and acquire top talent to you know, knock down prices. And, uh, you know, now they will be able to strengthen, uh, you know, with, with a little bit more sort of comfort, uh, you know, in, in financial terms, which, uh, you know, I think is, I mean, it, it's going to be, obviously, it's good news. It's also going to be challenging because as soon as clubs know, especially in the young, that there's a club with a little bit of money, suddenly the asking price for a lot of these players that could be on their radar, uh, you know, goes up.
0: I, I did see that I was looking kind of at some of the news around Strasbourg just to understand where they're at, and there was an article that says they've been given twenty five million transfer budget following the takeover. That seems wildly low to us in our inflated vision and being at Chelsea. Is that roughly kind of like what they operate on, or is this higher or lower? Like, what is the the median here?
1: I mean that's much higher than than Strasbourg have been uh you know operating on in recent years I mean that's assuming that the the reported numbers are correct uh so, you know they you know we have to we have to kind of assume that it's close to the mark but maybe not quite uh you know 100 percent accurate but I mean it, in terms of the bigger picture you only really have sort of the top you know three to four clubs who are capable of you know spending that kind of money in a transfer window uh that's no guarantee that they always do either. I mean, the, the the club that you can guarantee will always spend at least that much, if not sort of two, three, four times that is PSG. You know, Mar- Marseille, you know, you will get them spending those sorts of sums, but they'll also be bringing in a lot in terms of the players that they're selling. Uh, you know, Monaco are also another, uh, you know, club that, you know, buys well, but also, you know, sells, uh, you know, very well as well. So, you know, that sort of leaves only a handful of other clubs, uh, you know, Rennes, for example, have been, uh, you know, quite active uh, on the transfer front the last couple of years. Nice as well, uh, you know, another sort of money club uh, who are, uh, you know, in a bit of a difficult situation at the moment for takeover reasons of a, of a different nature. Uh, and, you know, that's, Kind of pretty much it. I mean, I think you can expect that last, uh, you know, will also probably be competitive this summer, but, you know, there's very few clubs outside of those that I've just mentioned who will be able to sort of compete with transport now in terms of domestic based talents. And also some of those names that a number of French clubs are looking at, uh, you know, from abroad to to potentially bring to France.
2: Uh, Last question for you. And I definitely appreciate your time, uh, JJ. I think the, the, the larger picture for the women's team is also uh, interesting. It was reported that uh, Blueco has acquired not only the you know, kind of the infrastructure on the men's side from a footballing perspective, but also the women's side. You know that uh, this is a big priority uh, for Clear Lake as, as it pertains to Chelsea as well, where there's been a ton of investment uh, in the women's team so far with more to come. Do you have any idea what the acquisition could mean for uh, for the Strasbourg women's team and and what that might look like in the future for them?
1: Oh, it's potentially huge. Uh, I mean, you've got uh, a couple of really sort of interesting tidbits that are kind of connected to the women's team. One, uh, Sabrina Keller, uh, Mark Keller's wife, uh, you know, is very very influential uh, in terms of the women's game. Uh, you know, so obviously, uh, you would assume that with Mark Keller. Still, you know, staying on board for uh, you know for for the foreseeable future that she will as well, uh, you know, which is a, a big boon. And also, it's an interesting time to be sort of potentially getting involved in women's football over here in France with the move to finally professionalise, uh, you know, the the top division of women's football. Which incidentally. Uh, is now uh, you know something that's being led by Jean Michel Aulas, who was recently kicked out of Lyon by John Textor, another American who's, who's come into the the French footballing landscape this uh, this last year or so. So I think it's certainly when you look at it from sort of the women's footballing perspective, it's very shrewd because it's sort of getting in just before kind of like the the big uh, the big boom. And something else I think as well that maybe has flown a bit under the radar with regards to Strasbourg as a whole is that the new cycle for TV rights, both domestically and internationally, will start this coming September. Now, it's probably not going to be as high as it was a few years ago before the big crash uh, that was brought on by COVID-19 and uh, uh, you know, the season being ended too early. But there is an expectation that the next uh, you know, TV deal that's put in place is a lot more lucrative. So the chances are that sort of in terms of Blueco pumping money into the club, both for the men's and women's side, the investments into Strasbourg will probably become, I'm not going to say sort of uh, you know, self-sustainable, but there will be a lot more money that's suddenly coming into the club, say in a year's time, like this time next year, when the new TV deal kicks in, uh, you know, which was also probably part of the thinking in order to get in now, uh, you know, and sort of have that secured and then sort of build for the future, knowing that there will be uh, you know, this sort of new boost uh you know, in potential revenue coming their way, because you know, you look at the deal that's been put in place uh, by the LFP and the CBC deal uh, where they've created this uh, this commercial vehicle, uh, you know, and it's difficult to feel like, um, you know, the, the you know, the French football is not going to develop in leaps and bounds sort of the next five to 10 years. So, uh, you know, I certainly think in terms of identifying an opportunity both for a men's and women's team in a league that could grow, uh, you know, hugely in the coming years, uh, you know, Strasbourg sort of ticks all of those boxes.
2: All right, last one for you, and this is more of a culture question. Um, Let's pretend that there are a bunch of Chelsea fans who are going to make a bit of a pilgrimage over to Strasbourg uh, what is one place that they should go and uh, and explore within what looks like a beautiful, picturesque town?
1: Well, you know the one thing that they actually really have to go for, uh, and I guess that would be assuming that the guy is doing this uh, so-called pilgrimage. Uh, you know, the really sort of hardcore of the hardcore, and that's to go during the winter, where Strasbourg has one of the most famous winter markets. Uh, you know, I definitely think you have to go at that time of year. It is it is picturesque. Uh, you know, very, very unique, uh, also very important, uh, sort of in terms of the European map, but the, or the, you know, the political seat exists in Strasbourg as well. Uh, you know, and no visit to Alsace would be complete without, uh, you know, a beer and, uh, a pretzel. So, uh, Guys, you have know, definitely got to jump in on that uh, at some point if you get the opportunity. It's a fantastic place to go, and the atmosphere at the stadium, uh, especially sort of when it's in full flow, is is phenomenal. It's one of the best fan bases in France. Difficult to uh, you know to, to talk highly enough about uh, you know sort of the, the fan culture uh, in and around the club, and certainly a weekend in Strasbourg will will not disappoint anyone who's uh, you know looking to make such a such a trip.
2: Awesome. Well. Uh... Look, really appreciate your time and, and helping us stay as educated as we can be about uh, this club and the, and the uh, interesting uh, kind of future that's kind of coming up. Jonathan Johnson, where can people find you and, and your reporting uh, on Twitter and elsewhere?
1: Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. It's a pleasure and uh, hopefully uh, chat with you again at some point soon when, uh, you know, we've had the first couple of months of blue co-ownership at Sturzburg. And for anyone who's interested in sort of keeping up on that and how it's developing over the summer, both in terms of transfers and potential goings on at the club, best place to find all of my stuff is on Twitter. So at JON underscore Legosik. Uh, and there you'll be able to find all my different bits and pieces for for CVS and uh, and other outlets. And uh, now that we've done this interview, I'll, I'll try and make sure that the uh, the fan base remains fed in terms of uh, you know the the sort of rumors and the happenings that's possible as well.
0: Wonderful, so,
1: super fair, uh, very excited,
0: and for everybody else, a link will be in the description as always. Uh, quite a good follow. So anyways, more to come with, uh, I guess, everything Blueco and whatever it is. So again, thank you to Jonathan. We got more stuff coming at you here in a second. All right. So huge, huge thank you to JJ for just dropping so much knowledge and, and information on us. Uh, I mean, there, there's so much, Nick, in there that I mean, this is coming so fast. Like we don't have time to research all these different clubs, and at the end of the day, we would miss things. So to have someone who uh, just is so well connected to the even the larger landscape of Liga um, was was brilliant. So link in the description to follow. Him, like I said, well worth it. Uh, more to come from him throughout the season, but yeah, fantastic. Oh man,
2: yeah, definitely got a. Uh a crash course in French football, uh, from, from JJ and really appreciate him. Obviously we know that Chelsea aren't done, <laughs> right. I think to close this episode out, uh, NAS reports that, you know, clubs in Belgium, Brazil, Portugal are all on Chelsea's radar. You know, JJ mentioned a club, you know, potentially in Africa, um, you know, stuff like that. So this is a, you know, step one, Brandon, and what is going to be, Uh, an adventure uh, for, for the blue co ownership group model thing that they're putting together. And I don't know if you have any closing thoughts, but you know, I think the sooner that these things can be done and the operationalizing of those things can begin the better uh, as far as I'm concerned, because it's going to take some time to get this machine fully operational in the way that we will need it to be.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look, as I kind of said it before the first ad break, I'm just here to, to listen and, and talk to people who have a little bit more information, just try to piece it all together. There's no way we could possibly know what, what they're doing in the, in the ownership group, what their, what their total plans are as much as they have shared it. But um, this, this reeks of ambition, right? This reeks of playing the game at a higher level to your, you know, we, we have to compete with some pretty big hitters, right? Um, When when Abramovich came to Chelsea, he was the big hitter. Now there are a lot of big hitters. I mean, United looking at potentially selling Liverpool dip the toe in the water, even, you know, some of those extremely wealthy people aren't sure they want to compete financially at this level that takes to be successful. So um, as we've seen the, the new ownership group come in and, um, exploit some loopholes, right? Uh, this is another way they're going to try to, um, play the game at a higher level that doesn't cost as much as maybe what the PIF or, uh, other state backed organizations are able to just pile tons of cash. Um, that's not the plan anymore. And so this is them just trying to be as competitive as possible in an, in an ever changing world. So, um, Let's just continue to to monitor and see what goes on, Nick. It's gonna be it's just never been boring with Bully, right? Boring, boring, Bully was not his nickname as a kid growing up. Clearly,
2: no, no. I mean, it's a uh, it's gonna be fascinating to see. Um, You know, I love the fact that they wear blue, um, Old Strasbourg. So I love their colors. Uh, It's beautiful. Their logo, their, their club crest I should say is is amazing. Um, incredibly French and uh, and well designed uh, as, as French fashion typically is. but uh, look we, we are uh, excited question mark uh, figuring it out, figuring out how this whole thing's gonna work, but heavily interested. You know, <laughs> if, if you want to see about the most picturesque uh, city that you could imagine in Europe, Go go on and Google some Strasbourg images, and and I think we we may try and take up uh, old JJ on his uh, on his winter Christmas markets uh, idea for for a Chelsea Strasbourg doubleheader trip because that it looks incredible. To be fair,
0: yeah, I put a little Twitter thread out there uh, about the city and kind of what it's known for, and it's wine, fruit juices, and mineral waters, picturesque architecture. You know, and you're just like, all right, that's enough to kind of get us there. Sold. Yeah. (laughs) Dry Rieslings, uh, famous for its beer sauerkraut with the German, you know, uh, influence as well. Uh, They've got a, a traditional pizza without tomatoes, but covered with cheese, cream, mushrooms, and local ham book it now. London (laughs) is blue. London to uh, Strasbourg happening in a, in a, in a season coming close to you. But, uh, I'm, we're just, we're interested. We're just trying to take it in. We will continue to cover it. If there are people we need to talk to, uh, plug us. Let us know. We're just here to gather information and put it out there. Uh, but anyways, big week, big, big week of content. Hope you've been enjoying it. Continue to drop the five-star reviews. Continue to subscribe on YouTube. Even if you don't watch it, just support us there so it grows the numbers. Road to 25K. Uh, and if you want a group of Chelsea fans, Discord, right? Patreon forward slash London Blue Pod. We'll get you there. Anyways, that's going to wrap us up. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Blue flag, flying high.